Hello and welcome to night number seven of 31 Nights of Frights, year three, the franchise. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. As you, the listener, know, this year focuses specifically on franchises. So in my first year of doing 31 Nights of Frights, I happened to do Candyman. But it was only the first Candyman movie, so that kind of put me into a problem here with recording franchises. I definitely wanted to knock out the second and third Candyman film, and I I didn't know if I wanted to do that on Adam Analyzes or what, but since I'm doing franchises, I really wanted to include it here. So what do I do? I think it's appropriate to go ahead and maybe do another little rundown of the first Candyman film. A little bit of a re-record, so I'm going to possibly correct past mistakes because when I listened to that old episode, I definitely did make some mistakes on that episode concerning the character of Daniel Robitaille, the movie itself, and well, this will be a good correction. And it's also because of the amount of films that I'm doing this year and the amount of films in each franchise, If I was to do an actual separate re-record for the first movie, it wouldn't really work because we'd wind up with 32 episodes. So I'm going to do something a little bit different with this one. We're going to talk about the first movie a little bit, and we're going to focus primarily on the second movie of the Candyman franchise and series. Alright, so with my explanation out of the way, here we go for night number seven. We are going to be talking about the Tony Todd starring 1992 masterpiece directed by Bernard Rose, Candyman, and also the not-half-bad Bill Condon 1995 sequel, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Candyman tells the story of Helen Lyle, who is played by Virginia Madsen, and she is investigating urban legends. The local urban legend is that of Daniel Robitaille, also known as the Candyman, who, when you say his name five times in a mirror, then he goes and shows up and kills you with the hook, or at least that's what the legend would have you believe. This, of course, is a little bit of a spin on the Bloody Mary urban legend. However, this has a little bit of a urban theme to it. This is actually one of the first horror movies that I can think of and that I know of that focuses primarily on the the projects area, the Cabrini Green area of Chicago, which was in fact a real place. And that's what really separates this one apart. And that's what really separates this from other urban legends or even other horror films is because the story of Daniel Robitaille is one that is pretty much born out of sadness with what happened to him and why he is the way he is and how that legend of the Candyman actually came to be. This movie here is, of course, based on the story The Forbidden by Clive Barker, and Candyman wasn't originally a black man. Candyman was originally a white character in the story, And the actual story itself concerned the class system in Liverpool. So in their adaptation to Americanize the story, they went and they changed it. And I think they changed it for the better because there's some definite 
race relations and class systems going on considering that housing development in Cabrini Green. I believe the real Cabrini Green no longer exists and they did try to clean up the area a little bit as far as getting down some of the graffiti and the crime and everything like that. But this movie really does feature that realism that I think separates it from say something like A Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. You can think that Candyman himself is really very similar to Freddy Krueger in a way as far as people needing to believe in him and fear him. However, the story with Candyman and how Daniel Robitaille was a famous artist who was the son of a former slave and accepted by the white people, presumably because of his talents. Sadly, his one mistake was falling in love. And also Caroline, the one who he was in love with, he wound up getting Caroline pregnant. And well, that didn't sit too well, so Daniel Robitaille was killed by a lynch mob and they cut off his hand, his one God-given talent, because he was such a great artist, they thought that that was justice by doing that and they put a hook on his hand. They covered him with honey, which had a swarm of bees go and attack and sting him to death. It's a pretty nasty backstory. However, it's not too far away from something that probably would have really happened. And that's what really strikes me with the Candyman franchise is that he is a character that could be feared and he should be feared as far as what he's become more or less like the monster however that story that is behind the monster and how he came to be is one of great tragedy the first film here only really touches on that a little bit it is more or less driven of, of helen's research and her desire to find the candy man and when she eventually does actually find him, it's interesting because he feels that she's trying to disprove his existence. And in order for him to exist, he needs to be feared. And so he goes and starts blaming Helen for murders, more or less. Or you could take it that she's so wrapped up in her work that he doesn't exist, even though there's enough to disprove that theory. But it is interesting to think about that she would be so consumed that she brings him to life just from her research. I actually really like the fact that they tell you that story and they show you a little bit of it, but they don't go into a lot of detail with it. That's really covered in the second Candyman film, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's actually a really interesting idea that they had here because they almost make it like a love story between Helen and Daniel Robitaille or Candyman himself and that's really something that sets it apart and I know Clive Barker was not involved really in the scripting or anything like that but as far as I know Clive Barker is pretty proud of this film and the Clive Barker poetic nature of the dialogue is definitely present here and that's one of the things that really stands out I don't know if he might have had some approval on the script or maybe doctored some of the dialogue a little bit but the poetic nature of the way Clive Barker writes is very much apparent in this film 
And that's where it shares similarities to Hellraiser in a way. When you hear Pinhead speak, you know it's important. And when you hear Candyman here speak, when you first hear him do his Helen, and of course I don't do it justice, but when he first calls to Helen, it's something that really strikes you. It's very powerful. And that's where we have a great villain who's not necessarily a villain. We have more of a tragic character. But it's one of the things that I really absolutely love about this movie, and that's the fact there is some genuine chemistry between Helen and Candyman. And it's an odd chemistry, and it's an odd way to think about it, considering he's telling her she needs to shed innocent blood. And she winds up being on a quest to save an innocent in its uh, baby, which will seemingly figure into the new reboot coming up which should be out at the time of this recording of course it's not out however it should be out unless of course universal delays it again and that was because of the covid situation but with movie theaters opening up as of right now movie theaters are still open for me anyway i know across the country it may be a different story but hopefully we get that third movie and If you have not seen the original Candyman film, it's highly, highly recommended. It's one of my favorite horror films of all time. I really can't say enough about this. Tony Todd's performance is fantastic. Virginia Madsen as Helen is fantastic as well. I don't know if I really like the sequel ending to this where Helen more or less becomes a urban legend herself. However, This is definitely one that needs to be seen and never forgotten. Just remember to say his name five times. And that will bring us to the sequel, the 1995 Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. This was the first movie directed by Bill Condon. Bill Condon is a Oscar winner nowadays. However, when he directed Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, He just did a lot of TV work and such. So with this, the direction is not nearly as strong as Bernard Rose's original Candyman film. And that led a lot of critics to not take so kindly to this one. I know they said that they ramped up the blood and gore and this and that. Well, the first one was a little bit on the nasty side with the blood and gore too. I don't think this one is too out of place as far as when you compare it to the first one as far as the actual content of the movie but I think the sequel does a lot of things right and the things that it does right is actually strengthening the story of Daniel Robitaille remember when I said about in the first one that they didn't really show a whole lot of the pain that he went through But this one wisely chooses to show that, and us as the audience experiencing that, the death of Daniel Robitaille, it actually goes and it really strikes you because it is extremely sad. Uh, You will definitely feel some, some sad emotions, and he was punished for simply falling in love and because he was the wrong color, which is absolutely terrible. Sadly, with the times that we're in today, 
I would say that things are better, but they're still not to where they should be. But Candyman Farewell to the Flesh is a good sequel. It's a movie that picks up with the professor from the first movie. He wrote a book about the Candyman legend and such, and he's doing a reading in New Orleans. I'm assuming that book and that story pretty much tells the story of Helen with the way it's described at the start of the movie, and also goes deep into the urban legend of Candyman himself. He doesn't believe in the Candyman story and thinks that it's just a work of people's imaginations and this is just a legend that took on a life of its own. So it does actually have ties to the first film. The story of Candyman 2 and 3 is a little bit of a story arc. I'll get to the third Candyman film, of course, on another night. But the main story itself concerns Annie who throughout the movie you find out she is a descendant of Daniel Robitaille himself. Daniel Robitaille was pretty much forgotten in the family's history. The daughter that Caroline, the woman that Daniel Robitaille fell in love with, was named Isabel, and Isabel was raised as white. So Annie finds out that her ties to the Candyman are more than what she originally thought. I think the first film had probably a better setting to it. However, I do really like the New Orleans set sequel. I think it does a great job as far as really giving us that flavor of New Orleans. I believe this was actually shot on location much of the way the first one was. But the fact that Ash Wednesday actually plays into this, that Candyman is going to kill himself and Annie on Ash Wednesday, is an interesting idea. We also get a whole plot where you find out Candyman gets some of his power from mirrors. And I don't know if I really like that idea or not, but that's also how he's destroyed in this film. Where the first film he was destroyed with fire, and that makes sense. However, you can't really kill him considering the legend lives on the longer we keep talking about it. And I really like that idea of stories taking on a life of their own and continuing the existence of somebody based off of actually hearing about it and repeating these stories. It's an interesting idea and in some ways it reminds me of Christianity and how that keeps going through the power of stories and people repeating them. I don't know if that's intentional, however, I think that could definitely be a theme here. But as far as the actual story itself and diving deep into the legend of Candyman, I really do think that that made it a stronger sequel than what its reputation has. I know that a lot of people think that the sequel to Candyman sucks, and no, it doesn't. The one that actually sucks is Candyman Day of the Dead, which again, we'll get into that one. But the worst part about this movie is actually the direction. The direction is not nearly as strong as the first film. In many ways, the handling of the story is somewhat on the messy, disjointed side. And this movie by no means sucks. It's actually a good movie, and it's a good sequel. However, the direction definitely works against it. I think Tony Todd himself here definitely turns in a great performance again as the Candyman. 
he definitely knocks it out of the park with the Daniel Robitaille stuff in the past. And overall, it's a good movie. The score by Philip Glass, that score is iconic and probably one of the best scores to ever be featured in any horror film. And thankfully, we get that again here. I think the production on this film is a little bit on the low rent side and cheap feeling. And that's another thing that works against it. The first one didn't have that cheap like feeling to it, but I think that might actually be a part of the direction itself. Bill Condon came largely from TV productions and this movie almost feels like a TV production if it wasn't for all the blood and gore that the critics criticized the film for, even though it's definitely not that bad. I do know that the upcoming Jordan Peele-produced reboot, which I am super hyped for, is a spiritual sequel to the first film, and that's okay. I think we can actually have multiple Candyman characters. It's not just his spirit, he gets his power from that story. So I think you can actually still consider the second and third Candyman in canon and go and consider that the one that's coming up would be the true sequel to the first film. There's only little ties to the first movie with the second and third movie, and that's okay. They created their own arc, and it works. I do think that Candyman Farewell to the Flesh is a better sequel than what director Bernard Rose was going to come up with for the first Candyman. He was going to make a sequel himself and it was outright rejected, which I can see why. Candyman was not going to be a part of a Candyman sequel. How is that? Well, it seems that Bernard Rose wanted to go and adapt Clive Barker's Midnight Meat Train for a Candyman sequel. And the only thing that would have been a tie to Candyman, the first one, it would have actually just been a mention of Daniel Robitaille or the Candyman legend. And that's okay, but I wouldn't want to see that as a Candyman sequel. It would have been a very interesting sequel, but it would have not been Candyman at that point. I personally wouldn't have wanted to see a Candyman film that didn't have the Candyman in it. Uh, he's the main draw of the movie for me. I like the Candyman and Daniel Robitaille character. I really sympathize with the character, and then I, I dig with the mythology that you know they created here with the films. To go and create that other one, I don't think it would have worked, and wisely it was not made. However, we did get our adaptation of Clive Barker's Midnight Meat Train, which is a pretty great movie in its own right. The last thing I'll talk about this too is that uh, Tony Todd with his acting with the bees and of course he really put the bees in his mouth. We actually get a really cool scene here in the movie as well where he first approaches Annie. And I'm not going to spoil that one but it's a definite standout in the movie. And well, I can't wait to see Tony Todd in the reboot because it's been far too long we should have actually had another Candyman film by now, but sadly, the third one led to the death of the Candyman franchise. If you couldn't tell by now, I think this is a solid follow-up to the first movie, and I think it definitely deserves to get a little bit more respect because it's definitely better than what its reputation has given it. 
If you have not seen the sequel to Candyman because you have heard it is a bad movie, it's not. The third one is a bad movie. The second one is actually a good one. And with that, I think I'm going to close out night number seven. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore analyzes. Also, if you don't do the whole social media thing, you can drop me an email at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. I do take requests, or if you want to give me some constructive criticism, then feel free to do so. And the last thing, if you do have a free moment to leave me a five-star rating at the podcast listing platform of your choice, I would definitely appreciate it. It'll allow me to reach new listeners and also continue to make these for everyone. But with that being said, be kind and good night.